Assalamu alaikum. You are listening to Texas Through Stories, and we're back with season two. Alhamdulillah. It was so wonderful doing season one. We had such a great experience, such a great reception to all of the episodes. And I'm so grateful for everyone for listening to them and for sharing them and for giving us such great feedback. I took a good break. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> had good uh, Ramadan and uh, Eid. Everything's good, Alhamdulillah. And then I uh, prepared in advance and recorded a bunch of episodes <laughs> for season two, which are going to be amazing. Uh, so excited to be sharing these with you. And we've also brought on a new podcast volunteer to help out. So super grateful for Vesa for helping me doing the recordings and doing the editing and, and everything that goes with doing the podcast. It's a lot of work. Alhamdulillah, so I'm so happy that we have some help this time around. Uh, we also, new for this season, we also have a Patreon. So if Tech Sisters means something to you, if you really want to support Tech Sisters in some way, um, you can do it there. Uh, we're just a small community uh, and the money that we get from Patreon goes straight back into the community. So it all funds the tools that we use to keep the community organized and anything else that we might want to do to benefit the community. So today's episode, I am so happy to kick off season two with Yasmin. Mashallah. She is so amazing. Actually, after we recorded this and the gap between recording it and publishing, she has won yet another award. Um, mashallah. So she's incredible. She's a three-time winner of the Women in Software Award. So 2019, 20, or 2020, 2019, and 2022. Mashallah to She's incredible. You're going to love this episode. Assalamu alaikum on Tech Sisters today. We are super excited to have Yasmin Desai, aka the Startup Girl. Yasmin is a product director who has worked for over eight years in startups, including Catapult, Revolut, and Impala. She's passionate about startups, tech, and entrepreneurship, and she's on a mission to empower people to develop entrepreneurship as a skill in their day jobs. Yasmin is a board member of Innovate Her and Queen Mary Business School, and in her spare time, she mentors young females and guest lectures on topics around entrepreneurship and innovation at Birkbeck, Kings and Queen Mary University. She has been awarded the Women in Software Award in 2020 and 2021, the Women in Technology winner 2020 and 2021. It's a big year for you. And the top 25 product influencers to watch in 2021. Mashallah, so, so, so happy to have you on here today. Thanks, welcome, Sam. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm so excited for this chat as well. Awesome. So how about we start at the very beginning and we can talk about how you got into tech in the first place? Sure. Yeah. So for me, I, I guess my journey started when I was at university. I always knew that I wanted to potentially start my own company and the careers department had a I guess a, a competition so you had to submit a business plan and I think there were maybe five to ten winners of that and they gave I think it was two to five k depending on whether you were like first second third winner and I was very close to not hitting submit on that application and so I'm very glad that I did because it pretty much did change the trajectory of of my life so I won some money. I started a company. It was a very small magazine, ran that for about a year and decided to close it down with a view that I wanted more experience. You know, I was 18 years old trying to run my own company and in my uni halls and it just, <laughs> as much as it was interesting and thrilling, I wasn't learning. I wasn't learning that much as I would have liked from potentially someone else. And so my thinking was, Hey, why don't I go out there and join a relatively small company where I can literally sit next to the founder, next to the boss and learn from them. So. 
I went part-time into two tech companies actually which I wouldn't recommend doing alongside your studies but then did that in my last year and then as I graduated it was just the natural next step for me to just say hey I really liked tech startups let me go and apply for a graduate role which I did did that so I've always actually been in tech it's literally all I know always been in early stage startups other than Revolut which is a bit you know more in the growth later stage I started off in operations and strategy roles and then pivoted in the last five years purely to just product management. And so then that's where I've grown and, and, and now at my product director. Amazing. What stood out for me there is that you're able to have this really interesting focus on spreading yourself across different things, mm-hmm. but still managing to juggle that, which is very interesting. Because you were saying before how you were you had so many projects that you were yeah, I think <laughs> little bit of a victim of saying yes to everything and <laughs> probably you know need to learn to, to say no to things but you know it's worked well for me so far and it's something that I would recommend if, if you have an opportunity and it excites you grab it out of its hands the worst thing that will happen is you know as you learn and then at some point you say okay maybe next time I don't have the capacity to do that yeah especially when you're young and you have that time because and energy yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's also interesting you mentioned that university competition. We've had another person on the podcast who also right. won a competition that they were just on the verge of not submitting. So that's very cool. I guess what helps you to push that button and to, to just yeah. go for it? I remember it so vividly, even though it was more, but yeah, it would have been more than 10 years ago now. I think there's a combination of things growing up I don't know why it was. Maybe it was also, I remember my brother talking about it to me. of like, oh, I want to run my own business. And for my parents, it was very much, you know, why would you want to do that? It's not guaranteed. There's no success that's guaranteed. It either works or it doesn't work. And why would you not just go out and get a stable job? And I completely understand where they're coming from now. Yeah. And then at the time, to me, that meant it. what I took that as as well. They don't have confidence in me. <laughs> and there's an element of when someone... <laughs> maybe suggest that I can't do something I go out of my way to go and prove them wrong not that I was okay. there to prove my parents wrong or anything like that but it was just in me you know it was what I got excited by did I get much of a thrill by attending lectures no did I absolutely you know sign up be the first person to sign up when you know a startup or a founder was coming in to talk yes and so listening to some of that and I remember the day really well I had I had you know put a pitch together it was a very simple business plan that they asked for actually it wasn't like it wasn't a huge task that they asked for, which is good in a way. Mm-hmm. And I was in, we had like what's called the economics lab, which is like a shared area for, for, for the economics students. And I was so ill. I remember being so ill that I just wanted to go home and sleep. And there was just the last bit that I had to finish. And I finished it and I was still in my head. I was like, no, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And I think I just said something to myself that was like, okay, the worst that happens is you just don't get it. And is that really the worst thing in the world? At least you tried, right? And so I think that was something that stuck with me all the time. I, I still do it to today, which is, well, at least I tried. And if not, I learned from it. And do you know what? Sometimes I think I applied to so many different things, not jobs, but just random, you know, things that I could potentially be doing outside. And sometimes I've honestly got to the stage now where I forget that I applied to half of them. And so when it does come, it's a surprise. And when it doesn't, I've forgotten about it anyway. So if there's no loss. Mm-hmm. So it was a case of, I remember it was like Friday, 2 p.m. I think the uh, the deadline for submitting it was like 3 p.m. And I'm n- notorious for doing things last minute as well. <laughs> so I did it last minute and and yeah, I pressed sent. And I can't remember how they got back in touch with me. I'm going to assume that it was an email 
And I was like, oh my God, wow, like someone had confidence in me and, and now I have some money to go ahead and do something. So I've taken that with me whenever I'm deliberating of whether I should do something or not, because I really did have nothing to lose. You know, the, the only loss would have been a bit of my time that it took for me to put that plan together, which I was already thinking about for a long time anyway. So it forced me to put my thoughts down. So yeah, that was what was going through my head. And I think to, to this day still continues to go through my head. Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson to learn, especially so early on. There really, I think when you have enough of a high level view of things, there really isn't any loss, mm-hmm. right? Unless it's something like really physical, but even then you're always learning something. There's always something to be gained from any difficult situation or anything that happens that you don't expect. So especially with like our mentees and our journey people and tech sisters, mm-hmm. we're always telling them just, just apply because yep. then you'll get more experience writing applications. You'll fine tune your CV. You'll just get practice going through the different rounds of interviews. You'll get better and better at talking about yourself. I think even that level is really important to get practice, especially early on, because it's very uncomfortable talking about yourself at first. And I think for girls in particular, you tend to not believe yourself until someone else shows confidence in you. Yeah. And so unfortunately, that means that sometimes you have to go out externally to find that validation. And that is purely what I did, right? I went, I I literally remember thinking in my head, I'm not going to do this until someone says, yeah, I'll give you the money or, you know yeah, that's a good idea. I would never have done it of my own accord. I only did it because I felt, I felt, oh, someone has confidence that mm-hmm. it's, it's a good idea or that I'm the right person to be doing it. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that I did. Amazing. So what were some other moments of people giving you confidence to help you move forward in your career or change directions? Yeah, I think, again, I, I, I can be very grateful for the fact that in, in my career, I've, I've typically had really good bosses and so they've always been encouraging with feedback and constructive criticism as always but like quite encouraging and so it's one of those things where until you start working you don't really realize if you're good at an area until someone says hey you know that was really good can you do this one again or do the same thing again but for this different customer or client or whatever it might be and so elements of it was was, was that I think I was very lucky that in my first proper I guess graduate job I was exposed to a lot of people so I was literally sitting in a an office with 200 people that weren't even in my company it was just that we were all sharing the same space sure and so you meet people and then you know I don't know I don't even I still don't really understand but you know I would have people come up to me and be like oh I overheard this thing that you were doing and it was really great or you know your boss said that you were doing amazing would you consider working for me instead and that's like to me that was the highest validation (laughs) you know it was like can you come work for me even though you'd be working in the same building and seeing them every day so there's elements of that I think what else could I say in terms of where I've had help I have had so at uni actually they did assign me a mentor as well and he helped me a lot because he came from a corporate background but was starting his own company as well and again even just walking into his office it just sparks interest right so I was walking to the office and I was like oh this was before I'd worked in the co-working space why why are you sharing an office with other people why don't you have your own okay cool it's a co-working space okay cool who runs a co-working space Oh, saw a guy, you know, that is trying to start his own accelerator, which actually at the time was entrepreneur first. And I applied to, I think, be the operations person. In the end, I turned it down, actually, which is probably one of the biggest mistakes. But yeah, I think it's just being exposing yourself to things, right? It's that the idea of you can sit in your room all day and apply for jobs and apply for jobs. But there's an element of you having to go out there and and do things and speak to people and then realize what you're good at and then really 
monopolize on the thing that you're good at and and believe in yourself that you that you're good at it as well and I think you know you hear a lot about people of oh well validation should come intrinsically should come from you and you need to focus on almost manifesting that in yourself and I to an extent I do believe that that's true however when you're young and when you're starting out and when you've moved from essentially a small town to a city and you've got people who've moved countries as well it's very hard to know and and manifest in yourself oh I'm great at this and, and I'm good at that especially because you know in the degrees at least the one I did they're not practical it is purely theoretical and so how can you say oh I'm good at this because yeah you can be good at a mathematical equation but it's really hard to then translate that and say oh well I would be good in this role mm-hmm. and so I think it's okay I think it's okay to, to to find external people that you can reach out to and understand what it is that you're you're good at and then grasp on that and 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 use that as your motivation going forward yeah I think that's a really important thing it's really hard to manifest something when you haven't seen it for yourself and I think that's compounded when we're talking about women who are like the onlys in their company who are the first in their their family go to university or the first to work in tech or the only person in their company who look a certain way or dress a certain way that makes it much more difficult to manifest that success yeah 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 and it also sounds like you're the type of person who really thrives in an in-person work environment. It sounds like you're having all that magic happening. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I say I did because for the last two years, obviously, we've been in lockdown, right? And yeah. it's funny because in the company that I'm in at the moment, I remember in my interview process, I literally said, please help me some way to get into the office again. I hate working <laughs> from home. And now... I'm the complete opposite. If anyone was to ask me to go into the office, really? I'd be like, no, <laughs> what can I do to avoid it? So no, it's interesting. I think you go through phases. Mm. I think your first years of your career are very formative. And so I would recommend anyone who's in that early stage, be in the office, go there every day, Have you have the energy, that's where you'll learn the most. And as much as I have confidence that remote companies work, to an extent, your learning is a little bit limited when you're not all in the same place or that your work is somewhat a little bit slower because you're not overhearing someone or you don't mm-hmm. overhear the context of, of of this problem. And so hence it take it can take you that little bit longer as well. So yeah, I did really thrive around being with other people. And actually, luckily in my day-to-day, probably six hours is still on face-to-face Zoom calls. And so I still have a lot of interaction. I think if my role was, you know, mainly research or anything, I would struggle quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think with remote companies, everything has to be very deliberate. So having those conversations and being like really explicit about the context and everything, which can happen, but it has to be a very intentional process. And I'm also interested because we're talking about those mentors who have helped you. And I know that you're very involved in mentoring. So how have you been able to then give that back? Yeah, I've had a few mentors. And to be fair, I don't ever see a world where I don't have one or two. And the ones that I have... What about a couple were deliberate? I like I literally went out and said, Hey, will you be my mentor? Yeah. when I was very young and didn't really know what that meant. And some have just transpired that, you know, we again worked in the same building, even noticed that, you know, they're way above their game than I am. And so just reach out for conversations and then it just becomes an informal conversation that we'll have every so often. So yeah, I, I always like to 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 give back partly because I see the need and it has helped me a lot. I take mentoring as more of an informal process where I know that there's a lot of organizations are very much, you know, one hour, one call per month. Mm-hmm. The way I prefer or the style that I prefer is much more as and when you need basis. So mm-hmm. almost like on demand, which I appreciate that a lot of people can't do because, you know, they've got commitments, family commitments. 
But for me, mentoring has always worked when it's, hey, I have this problem and, you know, I literally have a deadline for it, whether it's an upcoming job promotion conversation or whether it is literally a, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out how to do a model and for for whatever reason I can't figure out within the company. Mm -hmm. So it's usually always time specific. And so then I'll reach out to a person and ideally they'd be in touch in, in, in the time frame that I would expect, but some people don't. So I want, what I like to offer is that way back, right? So that someone can message me and I have had this, you know, they, they text me and they say, Hey, you know, I've got this problem. For some people it's, you know, I'm due to have a conversation at work about prayer space and I'm absolutely bricking it. I don't know what it is that I should say. Great. Happy to get on a 20 minute call or just send a voice note saying, here's some tips. Yeah. And that's the kind of mentoring that I like and like to give back on because to me, that's way more effective than a one hour conversation where arguably there might actually be things that you need to talk about and that's great and you're you can afford to save it until that one hour but sometimes you need a mix of the two really so in an ideal world I'd be doing even with my mentors maybe one hour every month or every other month with kind of on top mini micro interactions as well yeah that's sort of what we do the mentoring at Texas is somewhere in that in between yeah. you have a three-month cohort but within that time you're with your mentor you decide on the cadence together and then after it, you've established that relationship and you can do the ad hoc things. Yeah. So it's it's really about you know, helping the mentee figure out what they want to do, but also so that they just feel more comfortable asking questions and yep. knowing who to ask. Yeah. So you were talking about the startup world, startup culture, and you said before, like, this is something that's always very interested you in universities you go to those talks. So what is it, what is it about that life <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. I think I came from a degree where it was literally forced down you that your options are finance, Canary Wharf, accounting, <laughs> banking. And it wasn't that the roles didn't interest me. It was more also genuinely just the lifestyle. Like, sure. I've never owned a suit and I don't. I was going to say the suits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, it was actually more things like that that annoyed me more than it was about the role itself. So I don't mind doing long hours. I don't mind traveling to work, or at least I didn't back then. But what yeah. I don't like is just strict things that are like, oh, you have to wear this or, and you know, that's even more difficult when you're Muslim as well, a Muslim female. And so it was more the fact that it was just inflexible that I felt like, okay, well, I'd be taking a job where it's inflexible and I'd be working insane hours and I wouldn't even get the time to enjoy my money in the first place so what's the point in raking up all that money in my bank account and also just that other half of me that was like I like business I like startups I like things that are you know I, I want to know how to get something off the ground and so that was what interested me and and you know I get way more energy from walking into a co-working space where I see all these really cool startups or people that might be academics or people that you know just have crazy energy levels than walking into JP Morgan potentially and and you know everyone is heads down and it's a very good work ethic that they have but I just don't felt like I I didn't feel like I suited that work ethic I suit the work ethic which is yes I can get my head down and and do a hell of a lot of work but I need that buzz I need that energy I need that passion and I'm not going to find that passion from you know a number of spreadsheets that I have to look at all day I'm going to find that passion from putting things out there that customers can use straight away mm -hmm. and so that's where I guess you know that interest spark from and also I think my thinking was just very much if I want to start my own thing again one day I need to know how you do it I need to know how you do it from scratch I need to know how you do it in the growth stage I need to know how you do it in the hyper growth stage 
Mm-hmm. And that's not really something that I'm going to get in a finance or banking role. And so for me, it just meant, you know, I want to do something that's more aligned to what my goals are. And and that's why I decided to take that route of startups. And it was a little bit difficult because, again, like I said, startups, are, they're not the ones that are going to attend your careers first because they don't have the money. I've seen some unis and credit to my one as well, that they've started inviting startups for a much cheaper rate or a lower rate so that they have that representation interesting and so that you know the careers fair is not just the massive the big four that can turn up and spend money on the huge stalls and it it can be charities as well it can be smaller sized companies um but i think that there's still a hell of a lot more that needs to be done mm-hmm. you know when you go to uni you want to be able to say this is I don't, I don't fit the career route that i think is common for for, for my degree what else is out there and they should be able to provide those. And I think unis are doing a much better job of that today. You know, you, you see unis with funds, even budgets for what they call entrepreneurship. And some budgets are 40K, some budgets are a million. And that's great. And I think that there there needs to be, and I think that most unis in the UK have at least caught on to the fact that entrepreneurship as a career is, you know, completely valid and that they should be helping their students do that as well. It's, it shouldn't be seen as risky. It shouldn't be seen as something that they shouldn't do. And if anything, they should be encouraging that without bounds as well. So in particular, I'm not, I don't really align to the idea that, you know, it's a very American thing to say, okay, we're a uni, but if you're a student that uses any of our research tools, then we automatically get a percentage of your company. I don't ascribe to that whatsoever. I don't think that's fair. That's not an entrepreneurial spirit. If anything, it's dampening it. And so what I'd like to see with with universities and not just universities, colleges, any kind of institution that, you know, is higher education, that be able to provide just different routes. It doesn't have to be startups. I think they need to be able to provide advice for any type of career, any type of job, any type of route. And that's what I'd like to to see as an aspiration for, for, for I guess, the future of today. That's amazing. Yeah, I think as the American, I think that's just going into American universities being big cash grabs and just trying yeah. to make as much money as they possibly can from anything. It's interesting because the American ones are the entrepreneurial ones, actually. They yeah. are the ones where every, every other has something on the side And, you know, we do see them take off as well. That's not because unis are taking a stake in their companies. That's because of just the the, the culture that you have over there. Yeah. I don't see why that spirit can't come to to Europe and the UK as well. What do you think needs to change for more entrepreneurial spirit to come over here? So we're talking about having unis be more supportive, but what else? I actually think it's going to take a long time. And I think it's more about a cultural shift than anything. I think... I mean, if you look at 10, 10 years ago, if you said, I work in a startup, you, the, the frown that would yeah. be in spaces. You like, know? oh, poor you. Yeah. Like, what a nice hobby job that you have. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a job? Yeah. Um, and now it's, it's funny because those same people are the people that, oh, I want to get into a startup. How do I get yeah. into it? And great. Okay, cool. You know, all, all four people wanting to move into them. And so I think there's still a massive shift that needs to be done, though. I think people need to stop kind of dampening people's aspirations when someone says hey I want to start my own company typically in the UK you'll have your response the responses that you'll receive is here's all the reasons why it won't work if you go to America hey I'm looking to start my own thing oh cool dude like I know Mm -hmm. this person that's doing this and you should link up with them and you know even though they're doing something similar you're going to learn something from them Mm -hmm. why is that why don't we have that here why are we so British in the sense that you know, we're just miserable in the sense that we don't have any hope. And so I think a lot of it is cultural shift. And so I think, you know, I would encourage anyone 
if you, if you have a friend or someone that you know is looking to start your own company congratulate them that's a huge step to take mm-hmm. that's a lot to 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 risk to put yourself at risk as well so i think there's that i think there's an element of having more funding that's available as well you know mm-hmm. if you look at entrepreneur first they recently started paying their cohorts so you know they they get a bunch of like 30 40 people together and give them a year and prior to that salary how on earth would anyone in london be able to afford to take a year off and it's in central london right it's not like Mm -hmm. it's on the outskirts or anything and so i did credit to entrepreneur first for doing that i think that's a really good thing and i would like to see more more funding available whether that's from the government whether that's from unis whether that's from accelerators and incubators and whether it's even only like a nominal amount because it does help if you're constantly having to worry about how the money comes in and arguably you do have to do that when you have a business then you know, it's going to be difficult to, to kind of start something from scratch and, and really make something out of it. So I think a lot of it is, I think 70% of it is the spirit and the culture. And I think everything else is what the institution can give. So whether the institution is the government, whether the institution is unis, whether it's having more access to, to these things as well, I think is what it will need to take. And I think it will take a long time. And I think we need to be accepting to it. I don't, I don't know that there's a push for us to, to do that other than, you know, if venture capitalists want big payouts from the companies that they invest in in Europe, then, then that's something that they should be advocating for as well. You know, mm-hmm. typically you'll find that VCs tend to prefer sometimes, not all the time, American companies because they tend to do bigger, it's, you know, bigger, go bigger, go home. And you don't really get that same effect in Europe. And I think that's because one, we're a little bit more risk averse. And two, I, I genuinely think that the the environment just doesn't necessarily always allow for it as well. So this might be a bit of a hot take. Do you think there's a class issue that is kind of intermingled with this? So that risk averse thing might be because these entrepreneurs are already from a relatively Christian yeah. position. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that this goes deeper, right? It's not just an entrepreneurial thing. How many internships, schemes yeah. do you see where you don't get paid? Mm-hmm. And how on earth can we expect people to be able to get that first? It's, it's, it's like a vicious cycle, right? If you can't get the internship, you can't get a proper job. If you can't get a job, you can't even buy a house or, you know, think, forget buying a house, rent a house, rent a flat. And, and yeah, it absolutely is because the people that do the internships are those that, that can afford or, you know, mm-hmm. find the way to scrape it together. But, you know, not many people can do that. And so you do end up just increasing the gap between uh i don't really like using the word class but you know you do increase the gap between the people that can and the people that can't and i think that's a huge issue why on earth you know i I do appreciate there are a lot of companies that generally they might not have the money but there are a lot of companies that do have the money and never have an intention of even offering a job at the end of it of that internship scheme and you've just asked someone to work for free essentially Mm -hmm. if you look at the purest kind of uk laws that's not allowed you're allowed to volunteer you're allowed to, you know, do certain hours of work unpaid. But, you know, you, you've, you've got a law that says if you're interviewing somewhere and you know how sometimes you might be asked to do a case study. If that case study, I think the law is something around, you can't quote me on this, more than two hours and is actually a task that the company would do themselves, i.e. someone in that right. company would do it, then you need to be paid for it because mm-hmm. you're providing work for that company. So why do we not take the same approach for something that's like a three to six month thing, which is an internship and say, actually, no, if, even if it's a small amount, right? Like my first internship, I think I was paid like a grand over, I don't know how many weeks, definitely not less than four weeks, but you know, and, and, and your rent in London can be more than 
depending where you live you know Definitely more than that more than 50 yeah exactly <laughs> so I do think it's an issue and I do think it's a deep-rooted issue and I don't think it's just applicable to entrepreneurship I think it's actually applicable to most roles as well yeah, I agree and then when, when when they're talking about having a limited number of people from underrepresented backgrounds that they can promote and hire it's because it's really difficult to get in yeah. if you're not getting paid for these internships if you're not getting the same opportunities yeah. as everybody even, else even you know I see on LinkedIn some some students and I really feel for them they're like I've got an interview, but I can't even afford to get there. Yeah. You know, how yeah. insane is that, that, you know, there's a train ride that might be 10, 20 quid and they can't do that. And, you know, in a perfect world, people like me and others would be sponsoring them to, to be able to do that. But the company should be covering it. I think I remember going to an, I'm going to say it was an IBM interview and they covered it. They covered the train costs. They even covered a night stay oh. if you were traveling from afar. And that was, again, that was just for a graduate scheme. It wasn't even for like a high level role. And I, again, I just don't see why other companies aren't adopting this or there's so many benefits that you can give in kind as well, whether it's like a paid lunch or just your travel card, you know, there are benefits to companies for, for, for doing that. And so, yeah, I always encourage people, if you can't get that monetary value them then what can you get that's maybe not direct money in your bank if it is that free lunch if it is that you know that travel card that helps you to to, to get in every day that's something that I negotiated in my first job it was it was an intern scheme I was getting paid okay it was you know the lowest end of what you would expect and I just said hey you know could I just get my 120 quid travel card paid for because that would be a huge help and, and they considered it and I, I'd like to see that becoming the norm definitely definitely Let's pivot a little bit. <laughs> so you're talking about you know, how entrepreneurs need to be a certain level of risk aversion. So what advice do you have for someone who has a product idea in mind yeah. and they want to build a business around it? Yeah. So I think for me, I tend to look at like product thinking there, which is that try to get something off the ground that is as minimum viable product as possible. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't need to look great. It doesn't need to be the full working version, but it needs to be usable. Mm -hmm. And if it's usable and you can get feedback, then, then that's what you should do. I, you know, I, I'm not in a position to say, oh yeah, if you've got an idea, quit your job, go ahead and do it. But I think the thing is what you want to do. And I think some people forget this, convince yourself that it's worth doing. If you can convince yourself, then, then it's worth doing. Right. So a way to convince yourself might be, okay. I'm going to set up a waiting list. And if I get a hundred signups to me, that is validation mm -hmm. or whether it is, you know, I don't know, for example, something I'm happy to be open about this, looking to do a product course, a paid one. And so for me, that, that is actually the validation that I'll look to do is, you know, I'll set up just a quick notion page. Here's about the course. Here's about me. Here's when it will be, or when it could be rather who's interested. If I get like 50 signups, I'd probably go ahead and do it. If I get five, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go ahead and invest all that time to do it. Or I'll relook and say, okay, maybe I didn't market it in the right places. Where could I remarket it? And so do like really small iterations of what you can. Another idea I had ages ago was like a kind of not grocery subscription, but almost like HelloFresh, but for any dietary requirement and the multitude of dietary requirements, right? So why why can I not get something that's like halal and gluten-free or, you know, wh whatever it might be. And so instead of like, you know, imagine if I decided to go out and do that and, and, and go fully fledged, it would take me a year more than that probably. Whereas I literally could just put up a landing page, pay maybe 50 quid in Google ads for diet food boxes or something of the words as my keywords. Mm -hmm. 
and see what level of interest I get. And so that's what I mean by starting really small, getting validation as soon as you can for the smallest version of your product. I think no code and low code tools yeah. are really great for this because we have a couple of people who've used a uh, bubble to just build yeah. an MVP of their app. Yep. And and then later on they can find a developer once they've they've gotten that figured out. But just to see your idea on something that you can click through the different screens makes a big difference. Yep. Yeah, totally. Amazing. So you're talking about a couple of different ideas. So what's next for you, Yasmin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I've always been one to dabble in a few things. So, you know, alongside my full-time job, I, I do small uh, projects within product. So I have a mm-hmm. product course that I'm running at the moment, and that's in conjunction with Islamic Makers. I'm looking to potentially do a course of my own on a course content platform. So that will be in the works. If you're interested, do reach out. And then other than that, I think really just want to hone in my skills and continue being a really good product director. And so that means, you know, being able to coach my reports and being able to help them grow in their professional development. So those are the key focuses for me, at least until the end of this year. I think just another goal that I have is to speak at two conferences this year as well. One of which I'm signed up for, the other of which I guess still pending, but yeah, those are, I guess, what I'll be working on until the end of the year. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah. I have the last three questions, which is I ask everybody the same ones. It's just sort of a reflection thing. Okay. So what's something that you're most proud of? And it can be in your career, or in your life, however you want to answer it. Something that's really special to you. Yeah. Why is it so meaningful? I'm proud of the awards that I've had. I think it's nice to get the, the, the recognition. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of people doing out there doing amazing things and there needs to be more recognition for them as well. So yeah, I would say I'm proud of that, but also acknowledge that there was a lot of hard work put into it and also that you know I had a great network and support system of people around me that allows me to to be able to do these things yeah that's where I would I guess have my gratitude for today oh that's perfect and what's something that you regret or you wish you did differently Mm -hmm. I tend not to like look at things and say oh I regret doing that but I think if I could start my career path again one thing and I'm very open about this, that I would say is like missing um, from my CV or from my brand is that big named company that has done mm. really, really well. And I know that I have Revolut, you know, I, I wasn't there for an extremely long period of time, but what I would have liked, loved to have done is been in a company quite early stage and seen it through to its hyper growth stage to so be, you know, in that first 50 people and then see it grow to like 500, 600. And that's not something that I've done and I would still like to do it. Or I'd like to join at the cusp of, you know, maybe when they're 200 and, and getting to that 600. And, mm-hmm. you know, just to be clear that the number of employees is not the signifier for how well they're doing. But as long as that, you know, they are growing in terms of their revenue figures, at least is something that I wish maybe I had done sooner. That That's a really hard thing to predict, though. Yeah. Because you oh, can join somebody really early. It's like reading tea leaves. Yeah. <laughs> it's a combination of luck. It's a combination of like. I mean, you could critically assess and, and say, sure. oh, I think this company is going to do really well. But ultimately, you know, there's there's no no power out there that can confirm for you. So it is, there is an element of, you know, you can't actually control a lot of that. But there's never been a time where I've turned down a company that was like, oh, I really should have stayed with them or, or taken it. But I think that maybe what I could have done is been a bit more tactical about my next moves. And we've touched on this throughout the interview, but someone that you're really grateful for. I mean, there's a number of people. I'm very glad that I have a close network, a close group of friends as well that I can bounce off, like, you know, 
work issues or personal issues as well. My mum, I think she's very strong. And I think I've always been grateful that she's always been there for me. Both my mum and dad are probably, you know, the number one people to be proud of me. And I think that that helps. But also, you know, I have like my mentors as well. And just people informally, I think when you look at things, everyone really is. I've never reached out to someone, for example, on LinkedIn, even if I don't know them and they've said, no, I'm not going to help right. you. I think that's something to really remember is that people are willing to offer their time. It might be in a different capacity to to how you expect it to be, but generally, you know, people are willing to help. And so keep that positivity in mind that if you do need help, then people will respond and help you. Yeah, I think that's a really good lesson. I've learned that so much in tech sisters, just reaching out to strangers on LinkedIn with just going, hey, do you want to be in this interview? <laughs> Most of the time it works out totally fine. Yeah. But is there anything else that you'd like to add? Any last words of advice for something that we didn't cover? Yeah, I guess words of advice. I think, I guess, trying to put myself in the shoes of if I was listening, what would I want to hear? It's always difficult. It's always difficult when, you know, I think I have to, to appreciate that I'm probably one of few people that really enjoys their work, their career, and, and you know, has joy when they wake, wake up in the morning. And so the one piece of advice I've always given to people is find a thing that you enjoy, even if you think that for whatever reason, you're like, oh, there's no market in that. There's no career in that. There's no career route in that. I think when you enjoy something so much, you'll be able to carve a niche that works for you because you'll want to work on it. You'll want to actively be pursuing lots of hours into it you'll be motivated so even if that literally means i don't know what the craziest thing could be like oh you could be so into frogs i am sure that there is a frog specialist role out there that works it might be very niche <laughs> i know that's very you know out there but i really truly truly believe if you really really like something you can make it into something as well no matter how niche it is it might be that you know it might be that your market is very small, but if you can make it into something that works because you're motivated and enjoy it, then, you know, that will work for you. And let's face it, there's some crazy job titles out there. If you can have chief happiness officers, you can have anything. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say jobs are changing so much all the time. The jobs in 10 years from now don't exist. So yeah. there could be some sort of robot frog AI that you could okay. be an expert on. <laughs> yeah but thank you so much for for yeah, sharing this and for sharing all your knowledge i really appreciate it and thank you so much yasmin great to be here thank you and thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's story on tech sisters if you liked it and if tech sisters means something to you if you enjoyed listening to the stories if you enjoyed the connection that we're trying to build with muslim women in tech Please consider following us, uh, sharing the episodes, leaving a review. All these things really help to get the word out and to get more people aware of Tech Sisters. We've really seen that during the break between the seasons as people sharing the episodes and, and joining the group. Uh, so alhamdulillah. Uh, if you want to join Tech Sisters, you can come to our website and we have a membership form for how to get into our Slack. It's completely free. We have a lot of fun there and you can talk to and meet other people, other Muslim women in tech. So if you want to meet other Muslim women who are doing product, you can find some in there. Alhamdulillah. Um, remember, if you want to support us, it's totally optional. But if you feel like you want to, we do have a Patreon. So you can uh, do something that way. And that's all for me. And I'll see you next week with another episode. Assalamu alaikum.